Clement Magnatella on 702. Live streaming countrywide on the Prime Media Plus app. Yes, TV channel 856. 92.7 and 106 FM. Six minutes after nine o'clock. Dumelang. Bonjour. Welcome to the Clement Magnatella Show. It's wonderful to have you with us here on 702. We always appreciate, appreciate your company. Um, being your companion and you, ours. I hope you're well this morning. Transnet has a new CEO. Finally, some stability in management there at the logistics company. Michelle Phillips has been acting in the position. She's now the new head. There were people who clearly tried to undermine her candidacy. Have you seen the stories that were leaked about apparently the public enterprises minister and the ANC's deployment committee rejecting her nomination because she was not, quote-unquote, black enough? And you could just tell. I mean, when as I was reading those articles, I could just tell that these stories actually have an intention behind them and I honestly think that they were clearly um, intentioned to undermine her candidacy. Uh, she's the longest serving executive who remained at Transnet even when people were resigning. High profile resignations including Portia Darby's resignation as CEO. The Department of Public Enterprises says she has about 20 years of experience at Transnet in various roles and she knows how to Turn the business around. And that's exactly what we need. That's exactly what we need to see. ASAP. The turnaround of Transnet. Because it's just like ESCOM. The biggest risk and threat to our economy. It's a major contributor to slow economic growth. If we don't fix Transnet, we must forget about growing this economy substantially and creating the much needed jobs. I mean, the logistics problems caused by Transnet. Railway lines are estimated to cost the country an average of 1 billion rand a day. Remember late last year, there were thousands of shipping containers that were stuck at the Devon port. One of the world's biggest shipping companies, Musk, was so frustrated with the delays, even at the Cape Town harbor, that it even reportedly decided it will bypass Cape Town and offload South African-bound container cargo in Mauritius from where it will then be moved to South Africa in smaller vessels, which is not good for us and our economy. We don't want to lose our status as the gateway to Africa. We can't afford that. And there are several other shipping lines that are now even imposing surcharges because of these delays, because they're disrupting their international schedules. So importers opt to fly goods into South Africa at a higher cost due to these port delays. And that has consequences for us. And I saw the minister said in the statement yesterday that there have been some improvements in the performance of ports and rails while this new CEO was acting. And I want to know if that's what you have experienced. If you do business in this industry, have you seen these improvements that the minister is claiming? 011-883-0702. That's the number to dial. You can send us a WhatsApp voice note on 072-702-1702. We wish Michelle Phillips all the best. All you and I, my friend, need to pray that she succeeds in this role. We need her to succeed. We cannot have a transnet that achieves only 25% of its target like it did in, in the last financial year.
with 5.7 billion rand in losses. Things have got to turn around and they have to turn around soon. I was 702. Let's walk the talk. Hey Clement and the listeners. So I work in the coal space. Our company mines and uh, exports coal. And uh, yeah, over the past, I would say maybe two, three months, th- there has been a slight improvement. Uh, but then there was that derailment that happened and then that just skewed everything again. Um, I think until they resolve the issue with the Chinese company uh, such that uh, the locomotives that are out are brought back and those that need servicing are serviced, they can do whatever they want to do, but the situation won't improve. Uh, I speak this on behalf of the, not on behalf, but uh, in respect to the coal industry. Thanks. Mm, oh, incredible. Thank you so much for, for giving us that. I'm, I'm happy to hear that there have been some improvements, even if, the, even if it's minor improvement. But that's going to help in the bigger plans that, that Transnet has. Uh, please let me know if, if you are in the logistics industry, if you've been impacted by the port delays, uh, this crisis around the rail, let me know if, as the Minister of Public Enterprises claims, there have been some improvements um, in the performance of the ports and rails um, while this new acting CEO um, has been in that position. Uh, Michelle Phillips has now been appointed permanently um, in that position. Uh, Nosipo Mapumulo has been appointed the new CFO. I guess now we wait for the appointment of the CEO for the Transnet Freight Rail, who will replace Sizagele Mzimela, who has also was actually pushed to resign last year. And that's an important division against, again in Transnet. And it's the underperformance of that TRF, of, of that TFR, that has been damaging, particularly to the mining industry. I mean, at some point, the Business Day reported that 5.7 billion rand loss at Transnet was largely driven by Transnet Freight Rail's worsening performance. And that's actually the company's largest division. It contributes almost 50% of Transnet revenue. It's also the most challenging division because it battles not only the escalation of theft, but the issues around vandalism of infrastructure and also the lack of uh, locomotives. So let's hope that they will also appoint a very capable CEO for the Transnet Freight Rail because that's quite an important division within Transnet. Your voice. Your station. Your open line. Walk the talk with Clement Manantela on 702. And by the way, let's hope government is also going to help Transnet in its turnaround strategy because Transnet, remember last year, they said they need about 100 billion rand to implement their turnaround strategy. And Treasury, I think, only late last year agreed to grant Transnet 47 billion rand guarantee facility to support that recovery plan, including meeting its immediate debt obligations. But there was no new money that was committed, even in the recent budget. But the company needs more money, some equity injection to execute that turnaround plan. But as you know, Treasury has been saying that the fiscal framework is already under a lot of strain. So I wonder if Transnet will be able to turn things around without the funds to do so. And actually, I remember when we had the chairperson, Abel, of Transnet on the show, Andy Lesang, I asked him this question. Um, I think it was in November when I hosted him, and I asked him, is it even possible for Transnet to implement this turnaround plan? 
and sort out this logistics crisis without the funds from Treasury? The discussions are ongoing uh, with regard to, to the money part. I was just talking about the fact that um, National Treasury is also the custodian of the PFMA. Mm. So if there are any deviations in terms of that regulatory uh, framework, we have to get their sign off. You know, so they've been very helpful mm. uh, on that part. Yeah. What about the funding part though? Well, um, the funding part, we are in discussions. And, um, but I mean, as I said, I mean, let's not try and simplify this issue. It's a bit complicated because we also have not been able to communicate prior to this moment mm. you know, the nature of our challenges, you know, and the depth uh, of the problem that we have. Yeah. But it's all articulated now in the recovery plan. And uh, we, we've, been ma- we've made it very clear that the execution and the implementation of that recovery plan mm. is predicated on us being able to secure the funding support. The reason why we're saying this is because when we have analyzed our balance sheet, we've come to a conclusion that we have reached the maximum limit of our borrowing capacity. In other words, we cannot go out there and raise funding, you know, to be able to procure all of these equipment. Therefore, we need the shareholder support to help us to almost recapitalize the company to be able to drive the turnaround plan. So you need all hands on deck, but needless to say, those discussions as we speak after the budget speech are continuing. Your voice. Your station. Your open line. Walk the talk with Clement Maniatella on 702. Hi, Clement and the team. You know, speaking of uh, Transnet and, and all the SOEs, it's really sad what Pravin is doing there, controlling everything. I'm speaking as a former employee of SAA. What it did to, to us was really, really bad talking about uh, colleagues that have lost their lives, lost their livelihoods, their homes. Most of them are sick, depression. It's the, they just do not care. They just do not care. Just can't add any words anymore. Bongi in broken downs. Thank you. Oh, Bongi, so, sorry to hear about how you've been impacted by really the breakdown and the deterioration of SAA. Yes, under this government. Um, and obviously there are other factors that were beyond the government like COVID-19, when, but SAA was grounded even before the COVID-19 pandemic. Speaking of Pravin Godan, what is going on with this minister and the SAA deal? So there was a tense standoff yesterday between the minister and the parliamentary committee that exercises oversight over his department because, what, he didn't want to hand over confidential documents on, on, the, on the SAA deal. There were conditions that had to be met first. So the minister had requested that his appearance at the portfolio committee be held in camera. Right? The media must be out. It must just be him and the committee. And that MPs sign non-disclosure agreements. Where, had you, where have you ever heard that? People who exercise oversight over you and your department on behalf of you and I, listener, as members of the public, 
He says they must sign non-disclosure agreement. How unusual. How bizarre. News 24 reported that those documents that the committee wanted to see include those related to the shortlisting of Takatso as SAA's preferred strategic equity partner and the sale and purchase agreements. So the chair refused the request that non-disclosure agreements be signed because that would be illegal. And in fact, the legal opinion that the committee received was that that is crazy. Given Parliament's role, I mean, parliamentary committee meetings are public. You can only hold them in camera with good reason. And the chair of committees must be the one that approves that. So what is it that the minister doesn't want to reveal in the documents? Because as a South African, I would like to know what led to Takatsu being selected as a preferred bidder. Hmm? News 24 says that after that meeting yesterday that was held in camera because the chair of the committee decided, okay, fine, let's have this secret meeting. They chased the media out. And I wonder, I've asked the producers to reach out to the chair of the committee. He hasn't been answering our call. Because the question I have is, why? Why did you decide to go ahead with the request that Praveen Godan had to have a secret meeting? I know his argument is that that, that short meeting in camera was only to determine if there were sufficient grounds to close the deliberations around the document. But I think that's just submitting to how Minister Pravin Godan wants things to be done. So anyway, the committee decided that there are no sufficient grounds for confidentiality around the documents on the face of it. So they will get legal advice and they will reconvene in a week. And I wonder if you understand where the Minister of Public Enterprises is coming from here. What is standard practice around these issues? I've never, ever, ever, ever really seen members of parliament being told they must sign non-disclosure agreement because there's confidentiality around how the state decided to go with this bidder over an asset that the state is disposing of. Maybe we don't understand how these things work. If if you understand it better, please let me know. If you understand where the minister is coming from here. And have you ever seen such a long due diligence process in your life? I mean, This deal with SAA was signed in 2021. Two and a half years later, it's still not concluded. The information we have is that Takatsu would buy SAA for one rand and inject about three billion rand into the company in a shareholder loan. And questions are still there on whether the state is actually receiving fair value here. Remember, the evaluation was done when the airline was grounded for nearly two years due to the business rescue process and then subsequently the COVID-19 pandemic. And I wonder if government has undertaken another evaluation exercise because the AG's office yesterday presented four years of financial statements for SAA. And they said despite a request to the Department of Public Enterprises, it hasn't been given sight of the re-evaluation during the audit. Apparently, the department expressed discomfort in sharing the report. What is going on? There's lack of transparency. What is it about the documents and what's in the documents that will compromise this deal? How? I, that's what I'm trying to understand. 
why is he refusing to release even the names of the bidders? Because public entities do publish names of bidders, don't they? That's why you would know about people like Edwin Saudi. Do you think, imagine all the other ministers, if they were withholding all of these names for confidentiality, would you be okay with that? I don't think that there's some market-sensitive elements in these documents that would compromise the affected entity to compete. We're not asking for the business plan and what they're going to do. We just want to know, when they were chosen, how were they selected as a preferred bidder? Why were they better than another bidder? That is not market-sensitive information, is it? Because what now happens is, the Auditor General will give a disclaimer when she publishes a financial statement. And what does that mean? Because the disclaimed audit opinions create challenges in determining appropriate values for the company and its asset. And that can result in, in, in terms of the sale and the selling price not being in the best interest of the state. And what, what even boggles my mind even more is that the minister is refusing to give information that is already going to be published anyway. I mean, information must be published in the financial statements of SAA. No? When any asset, when any state asset is disposed of, you've got to publish that in the financial statements. The fact that he's willing to hide it from the Auditor General means that you and I may probably not even know at some point. And I think that's a classic example of lack of transparency and accountability by this government and by the Minister of Public Enterprises. What do you think? Your voice. Your station. Your open line. Walk the talk with Clement Maniatella on 702. Clement, good morning. What if all these SOEs are being privatized? I think if they are being privatized, we might not experience what we are experiencing now. Especially ESCOM and this uh, railway. If they can be privatized, I think we can come up clean with that. Government can't run business. It can only run the country. Thank you. Good morning. Nimrod here. Um, good morning, Clement. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, you know when they say uh, there's a minister, you know, who's untouchable, yeah, is Jamnandas, you know, <laughs> as, as Julius would say. No, man, this man, yeah, no. But uh, anyway, my question then with all that being said, you know, um, is what is the president saying about this? What What's his take? What does he say about it? And his minister um, is, not being, is not being held uh, liable for anything. You know, he, he rules with impunity. Nothing is being said. Nothing is being done. What does the president say? Or maybe another question is, why is the president not saying anything? Does Jamnandas perhaps have any, something on the president? Because it doesn't make sense, really. It doesn't make sense. Please make it make sense. Thank you. I don't know how, I don't know how to make it make sense, man. How can you refuse to provide crucial documents on the sale of SAA to Parliament? Or you want that to be done on the basis of confidentiality? My thing is, 
the, so parliament exercises an over, has an oversight responsibility over government, the departments. How can the committee, the public enterprises committee, give its qualified support to the transaction when it's unable to ascertain all the facts? How do they exercise their oversight responsibly over the deal? Hmm? As the committee is the second oversight body to express concern, in fact, over the Takato Consortium, the Auditor General, even before now, before these concerns she's raised now, the Auditor General noted last year already that the department did not follow a transparent process to select a strategic equity partner. So I don't know. I don't know how to make it make sense. That's why I'm asking maybe someone who understands how these deals are done. Is it justified that there must be some form of confidentiality when you're dealing with sensitive deals like, you know, private involvement in this case of the acquisition of SAA? Or or do you think the public should be informed of all the matters and all the parts of the process? I don't know what it is that would somehow compromise the affected entity if the minister comes and says, oh, hey, we chose Takatsu because of one, two, three, four, five. Or the minister goes to the Auditor General and says, hey, here's a report on the re-evaluation of SAA. How does that compromise on the deal? And how are we allowing this to happen? Well, clearly, there's just lack of transparency Lack of accountability on the part of this minister. It's 9.30. Your voice. Your station. Your open line. Walk the talk with Clement Magnatella. On 7.02. 25 before 10 o'clock, it's the 7.02 open line. You can call us on 011-883-0702 or send us a WhatsApp. 072-702-1702. Let's go to Pretoria West. Madi Major, good morning. Good morning and how are you, big brother? I'm good, man. Go ahead. Yes, man. I, I'm just worried, man, how private Gordon is treating South Africa, man. It's like we, we owe him something of some sort. And it's quite worrying that he wants to utilize state resources, but in secret. How do you do that? And you, if you look at the Constitution, the founding principles of public admin, they are explicit in terms of how do we function as mm. a state, in terms of openness, transparency, and accountability. But if we are going to oper- operate in secrecy where in certain information can be withheld, and even the parliament, they cannot have access to such information, then we are in serious, serious, serious problem, especially at this time of the year, where in the ANC it is in titles and they need each and every vote, they need each and every person to rally behind them. But here you are, they have given us someone who would say, I cannot talk to you unless you switch off the camera. Imagine. Oh, that is signed disclosure, agree, non-disclosure agreements. As a public... <laughs> what? <laughs> To the members of parliament. I mean, the people that we say they must hold him accountable on behalf of South Africa. Uh, they must have their own secret meetings there. Yo, I I. Mean, the, the quality of politicians we produce in South Africa, it's, it's so low that we are not going to improve but anytime. Do, any do you think the president is going to give him a call and say, yo, brother, Ayman, I, this is unusual, uh, this is weird. 
you know, submit yourself to those accountability mechanisms in Parliament. You think you will do that? If if you call uh, the the spokesperson of the president today, he will tell you that no, let, let let them see for themselves. He wouldn't even take a position and a posture on that, and he can see. Even today, they are listening to you as we speak, but they can see that the man is totally (laughs) disobeying the parliament, the highest institution in our country. Oh my goodness. Maybe he he contributed to the funding of the president's campaign for the president, and he (laughs) has much power, I guess. See, and then now Omadimech are going to have, you know, these stories thinking, because what else? You're trying to justify someone's continued behavior of the lack of accountability and transparency. So people end up having all these thoughts of what could be the reason that action is not taken about this person. And you know, the problem is, when you say these things about Pravin Godan, he complains. What happened when Figilem Balula said stuff about him? Remember when he said, Pravin, fix this or we are, you're out. <laughs> Figil, he, he, Figil had to, to apologize to Praveen because Figil said, yeah, he went to the president. <laughs> and that's not only that. There's times when he's had me criticize him on the show. But he doesn't call the show. He calls other people in this building to complain about me. And I'm glad because what my bosses always do is, but call him. Engage him on the show. Go challenge him. Has he ever called? No. So if you're listening, Minister, give us a call. Explain to us what's going on. We have requested interview for him from his people. They told us he's got other engagements. But that's what happens with other people who are not serious about taking accountability. They think they are beyond being held accountable. That's why you can't criticize them as a journalist. That's why, as a fellow politician, and I'm not saying Figil and Balula was right. I mean, I do think that Figil and Balula sometimes crosses the line. There are ways to do this. But the fact that he went to the president and Figil had to even, did he release a statement or did he just speak publicly? But Figil and Balula said, no, that's not what I meant. And this is not new. And, I, and for me, that's an attitude of someone who thinks they're beyond being held accountable. They're beyond being criticized. That cannot be. Tabang, you're in Rustenbeck. Good morning. Morning, morning, Clement. I'm all right, man. Go ahead. I'm good, man. Listen, Clement, you remember what uh, Mama Fiki Minto said in her book, May Has Already Been Peace? There are no holy cows. Mm. Remember that? Mm-hmm. That's, that's exactly that. So no one can call Pravin to order, not even the president. So it's just like Khalifa uh, Matanta uh, uh, said, the ANC just need to lose power limit and stay on the sidelines and let we, we give some other chance to run the government because they, they practically don't care. I mean, how how do you say that as, as, a, as a minister? How do you say such things? Or no, you don't want people with cameras. What kind of nonsense is that? Sorry mm-hmm. to use a strong language. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, long and short sort of it, there are no holy cows. Everybody, somebody has got something over somebody. Mm. All right, Tabang in Rustenburg. Thanks for your call. Sipo in Alberton. Hi. 
Hi, uh, Clement. Hey, Tana. You know, uh, these, these are indicators that certain individuals are running intelligence services, private intelligence services, and they don't want to let anything. They're always jumping the gun because they know something about something that nobody knows. And, uh, and Pravin Godan has been on the news for rogue units and so on and so on. So this tells you exactly what kind of attitude and behavior he has. And, and he doesn't take any, any instruction from the president, and the president allows him to do this. And this is not acceptable. He's running a, a ministry of secret enterprises, not of public enterprises. Mm-hmm. If it's a ministry of public enterprises, he ought to submit himself to the rules of the game. And, and if he's running secret enterprises, then this is what we're going to get. Mm. Unfortunately, this is what President Cyril Ramaphosa allows himself or subjects himself to. It doesn't yeah. even call him to order. He's supposed to. Eh, yeah, Sipo, I'm Azmin. You know, I'm going to try to get a hold of um, Bazima Shiloa um, because he's, he's someone who was there in the beginning of of the how train and i think he was premier in fact someone um, indicated to me that he was premier when they appointed the bombella consortium to run the how train and they were very transparent because i'm trying come on surely there's someone who sees where the minister is coming from enlighten us maybe we are wrong maybe we don't understand such processes that's why i'm hoping if we can get mbazima shiloa he can help us understand what are the limitations when it comes to these private public partnerships are the limitations around how much you can reveal? Because my thoughts are, if you are disposing a state asset, at some point, that's going to be in the financial statements of that company. So whatever you are not wanting to reveal now is going to be out there anyway. In fact, you owe it to the public to do that, to reveal that kind of information. But it's not being revealed. Somebody out there who understands, maybe you've been involved in private-public deals and you understand why this is confidential. Please tell us. Hi, Clement. Um, I think I understand where is the minister, Minister God, uh, Pravin Godin, coming from. It's coming from the corruption point of view. Um, I think him and the president, they are really in a clear and serious mission to take all the public services and transfer them to the private industry. Uh, all these things that you are saying, everything that Godan is touching, everything that Godan is leading, at this stage is deteriorating, it's going down. But the president is not frustrated. The president is fine. You know, I think the capitalists are also smiling. That's what they are looking for. So the president, the minister, and the capitalists, they may not be standing on the same uh, stage, but they are working towards a, a common goal. And while we have those two, the president and Mikodande, everything that is public uh, service is going to collapse and so that the private in- industry can take over. Thank you. Uh, good morning, Clement. I think it, it's clear that uh, Pravin Koden is actually the prime minister of this country. He's above everybody. Uh, they just announced they appointed uh, a CEO I believe group CEO at Transnet. No one knew about it. We just knew now <clears throat> that someone has been appointed. Yes, she's experienced. Acecom, someone was pushed to us as well. We didn't know anything about it. And so I'm not surprised about the SAA saga. Thank you, Sviso. Morning, Clement. Clement, Minister Pravin Kordan, ignoring 
to submit those documents, not only undermining the rule of law of parliament, but also undermining the rule of law of this constitution of our country. And the question is, what is the president saying about it? Thanks, Ms. Ramsey. Malose, you are calling us from Vanderbilt Park. Good morning. Good morning, Clement, uh, and your listeners. Mm. I I am dumbfounded about uh, how government runs our business. I regard myself as a shareholder of every state-owned entity, mm. as a citizen and as a taxpayer. So, as a shareholder, I am privy to all information regarding the business of my entity, including state-owned entities. This issue of non-confidential agreements by fellow Arigat ministers as as directors appointed by us to run the business of the country. So they cannot hold, they cannot you cannot have a fellow director saying to other directors that, no, you can't see this. You understand? Mm. And I, I am disgruntled about our government putting ministers for 30 years from one portfolio to another. How can one person be an expert in every facet of business of the country? Ravin Gordon is a pharmacist, and he is misplaced. So are all other ministers that have been rotated from one end to another. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for your contribution, Malosi. I think I did address this thing of nobody says if you're a pharmacist, you're not able to do a good job as the political head of a particular department. There have been examples before of ministers who don't necessarily have experience in that particular field who have done well in their oversight responsibility, in their political responsibility as the executive over those portfolios. Um, so I think, and it happens, this is a global phenomena. You know, in many, many countries, they'll appoint people into executive political positions, right, to be overseers. That's why there's a difference between executive authority and accounting authority. Accounting authority, those are the DGs, you know. Those are the people who are actually doing the day-to-day runnings of that department. Our ministers, our MEC are political heads. Um, so there's a difference there. But it does help. And I'm not suggesting that just put in someone who doesn't have an understanding of the portfolio. It helps when a particular minister actually gets the portfolio. They understand it. They've, they've, they've read. They've also surrounded themselves with advisors who help them understand what the responsibilities are and what that portfolio is all about. John, you're in, in Rodeport. Good morning. Uh, morning, Clement. Hey, Tara. Good, man. Look, it doesn't end with the documents, I... The people that went back to SAA are being ill-treated so badly, eh? whereby they got increases last year, annual increases, and they were withdrawn because they refused to sign certain documents or promises that were made before. 
And mm. all of this happens under Praveen, because eh? he is the what? The political head and the, the, the what do you call it, the shareholder. And all these things are happening. They come to the media. Everything is going well. So it doesn't end with the documents. It goes down, down the rank and file of the old employees that they continue to ill-treat when they lost their jobs for two or three years without an income. They come back and they're not listened to and they're expected just mm. to carry on working. And it's really unfair. That's sad to hear, John. Do you, do you work there? Do you know someone who works there? Yes, I've got a partner who works there. Oh. And it, it, it's bad. Eh? Then please ask them to call out there. And even their unionists and trying to fight job grading and what, what. But nothing moves there. Mm. Okay, John. Uh, thank you for calling, man. Um, if, if anybody works there at SAA and you're able to just confirm what John is saying about the treatment of, of employees, let us know. It is the first time I'm hearing now about... Um, the treatment of, of SAA employees. So if you work there, first-hand experience, you can do so anonymously even on the WhatsApp line, 0727021702. Morning, Clement. If, if, the, if the solution was to privatize uh, SOEs, the private sector too has its own problems. Just recently, Mr. Langaziswe Madongo it's it's been revealed that he's been holding high profile positions in the private sector with fake qualifications it makes us wonder if qualifications are ever verified thanks dima morning clement my name is Anna from lanesia somebody should be asking mr Proving garden you know whether this business is his own or does it belong to the country because he's running it as if it is his own business. He doesn't need to do any non-disclosure. I've signed non-disclosures, and that is when it's your own business, not when it is the country's business. Everything should be made public. So non-disclosure is going to mean everything is kept secret. That's not, not right for the country. Clemmy, good morning. Flores here from the Western Cape. Clemmy, if one thinks that Fiele is arrogant, then you are really mistaken. Probably Gordon is the most arrogant, cockiest minister I've ever come across in this new dispensation. And he thinks that he is the Taj Mahal. He is going to get a rude awakening. If he thinks everyone is coming and bowing and just letting him off the hook, he is going to fall and he's going to fall damn hard have a good job bye look i don't want to call i don't want to call him names right i just i just think that he's not been doing well in terms of transparency and and accountability and i think he could do better i don't think he's the most incompetent minister we have he seems to be the minister that actually is doing the work is that work leading to soes improving or not that that that, that is another conversation we can have but I don't, I don't think I would say is, is, and, and this criticism doesn't even speak to his competency. We're just talking about a process that I think he's mishandling. Simon in Woodmeet. Hello. Yes. Good morning. Again. Uh, excellent show as usual. I, I'm not a great fan of, uh, you know, Minister Gordon. It is a general common 
business practice, and it is um, it is common law in South Africa, uh, not in only the corporate or private, that the investor have a right to ask for the non-disclosable agreement, especially when we were in a dire hard situation and we went around locally, internationally, seeking investment to actually, like, you know, survive or let take them out of the, you know, the survival mode. Uh, investor can ask uh, that my name should not be disclosed. The only only person or only entity if the name will be disclosed, it is the SARS, the Commissioner of SARS, not to the common general public consumption. So it is a general and is a normal common business practice in South Africa internationally yeah. that the investor can ask not to be disclosed and government is obliged to sign an agreement. So I don't think so that he is out of the line. He's protecting him or he is ruler or he's a dictator. It is a common business practice that it, it may be for the geopolitical In the private sector, but this is no, a no, private no. public, no, right? No, so no. this is an asset that is owned by me and you as taxpayers. I, I know, but what I'm saying is when you're in a situation when you're big, you know, your local asset is about to be closed down in a bankruptcy and you're seeking international investment, there's a lot of leeway that one needs to go through to get the investors attracted and investors have a right to say that okay, I, I do not want it to be publicly disclosed. But, but we do know the investor. We already know the investor. They've already chosen Takatso Consortium. What we are trying yes. to know and what the committee in parliament wants to know is, tell us, give us the documents that show how you got to the decision to say, okay, Takatso Consortium is actually the company that is suitable for this, for SAA to get into a deal with. That's what I they're asking. You're 100% right, but that will be disclosed by the Commissioner of SARS, not by the Parvin Gordon, because that's the only entity they agree, uh, perhaps, in the agreement that for the tax purposes, our company and the mechanism, the microscopic detail of the, you know, how this consortium has brought the money from where the roses, it will be disclosed by the Commissioner of SARS to the Parliament. It is not the responsibility of the Ministry or Minister. So I think it is It is just been, I think the best person will be to bring Parvin Gordon on the spot and talk to him directly. And there's a lot of that's, I think, is a uh, I, I mean, as I say, I'm not the, I'm not one of the fan of him, but I think it is a misplaced and misguided argument, and a lot of people are emotionally yeah. slagging him. And I think uh, the best person is to bring him on, on actually a show and yeah, I've, yeah, and I've been trying. I'll keep trying, Simon. I'll keep trying. Yeah. I uh, thank you for your country contribution, yeah. buddy. Um, thank you, sir. I'm not convinced yeah. by your argument, but 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 I I accept that you have a different. I'm not convinced that there's an NDA you can. You can sign. For me, you must demonstrate how revealing that information that the committee is asking is going to compromise the entity that is enough is affected. In this case, the Dakatsu Consortium. And I don't know if he's been able to do that. I don't know if he's he's been able to do that. How were they selected? When they were chosen, how were they selected as a preferred bidder? Why were they better than the other bidders? That is not market sensitive information, surely. And, and surely at some point, the information that we are, we're all asking, surely that's going to be published in the financial statements of the entity at some point. No? Let's go to Fahad Esak now, who is a member of the Portfolio Committee on Public Enterprises. He's uh, the DA Shadow Minister for Public Enterprises. Thank you so much for making time for us, Fahad. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, and, uh, Morning to your listeners. Yes. What happened yesterday seemed to be unusual for, for some of us. As a member of parliament who was there in that committee, how did you guys read what happened? What the public enterprises minister was requesting for, for you guys to sign those non-disclosure agreements? 
Well, yes. Look, you know, uh, prior to the meeting, uh, we were obviously uh, sent uh, correspondence uh, through the committee uh, secretary uh, informing us that the minister will meet with us uh, on the basis of us having uh, to be uh, in camera as well as having to sign uh-huh. a, a non-disclosure agreement. Uh, obviously, uh, we took strong umbrage uh, to that in that uh, I felt strongly it, it was not necessary for us to, as members of parliament who have taken an oath of office uh, to, uh, as members of parliament uh, in terms of complying with the constitution of yeah. South Africa, yeah. uh, that there was no reason uh, for us to sign a, a letter of undertaking. Mm. I, I, I am aware of the rules of parliament that I think it's, if I'm correct, under section 189, that uh, committees of parliament are allowed or can and may have meetings in camera. Sure. But this matter has been a very sensitive matter uh, for a very long time. What, what is, how sensitive, are, whatever you as the committee are asking for, how sensitive are those documents that the minister is, feels, you know, they must be handled within that confidentiality? Well, personally, you know, uh, that is for the minister to answer in terms of how sensitive they are. Personally, my feeling is that, um, you know, South Africans have a right to know exactly uh, what has been transpiring with this transaction and this debacle that's been going on with no concrete forthcoming answers. So this is why we were more than happy to sit in the meeting yeah. and, uh, and and discuss and understand what are the terms of the transactions. Okay. To, uh, Has he handed over the documents to you guys now? Uh, the documents were handed out in committee for us to peruse, mm-hmm. uh, but the documents are pretty uh, voluminous in that uh, it's not something that we could in an hour or two. Okay, so you'll reconvene later. All right, thank you so much, uh, Farad uh, Esak, member of the Portfolio Committee. He was there in Parliament yesterday when the minister wanted them to sign non-disclosure agreements. It's a minute before 10.